Hello! Welcome to Fun with Science with Travis and Steve. Today we've got a really cool experiment where we're going to add potassium chlorate, which is being burnt by Steve right here, being set on fire. We're going to add little gummy bears and see what happens. Wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> Hey Heritage, I want to give a shout out to our QC West and Bettendorf campuses as well as want to welcome those of you joining us online. This is week one of our chain reaction series. We're calling it chain reaction because a chain reaction is a series of reactions where one thing causes additional reactions to take place. One thing leading to another. And we just saw in that opening video a number of chain reactions. In fact, I want to draw your attention to three. One is when that gummy bear reacted to the potassium chlorate and just erupted in a fiery inferno. That's pretty cool and a little alarming at the same time. May give us pause the next time we want to pop one of those little delicious fellas in our mouth. But they're so tasty, I don't think we'll stop. Second reaction will be the reaction of our mad scientists, Steve and Travis. Did you see their facial expressions? Guaranteed, Travis did not know what was about to happen priceless as they reacted to that fiery inferno in the test tube. Third reaction was them, was them seeking to extinguish that flaming gummy bear that shot out of the test tube like a Roman candle. <laughs> priceless. Chain reactions. Now, I want to take a moment and uh, need to be serious about this. This is uh, more of a disclaimer for our entire series, and it's a serious moment. Uh, just want to make this disclaimer as we begin the journey. There were no worship pastors injured in the making of these videos. None. None. Yep. Although the gummy bear did not survive, but that's because they stepped on him. All right. There we go. So, chain reactions. One thing causing another. One thing leading to another reaction. And our journey in chain reaction, our series, is simply a journey through the book of Colossians. A great letter that allows us the opportunity to see the chain reactions between life and faith through Jesus Christ. It's because of who he was and who he is, what he has done and what he is doing, that it allows us, affords us the opportunity to, to have our lives transformed. Our lives can be changed because of what he has done and what he is doing. We can be reconciled. We can be free. We can be empowered and so much more. And Colossians explains how life can be different, how our lives can be different because of Christ. Now, before we step into that journey today, I want to take a moment and revisit one of the things we talked about last week. We talked about why we light the cross. For a number of years, we as a church have celebrated when we know of a first-time decision for Jesus Christ. We light the cross to celebrate that. And this past week, we, we, we knew of two adults, Rock Island, one in Rock Island, one in Bettendorf, who made decisions for Jesus for the first time and stepped from death to life in relationship with him. And that's something to celebrate. 
But I got I to gotta tell you this. I got to add this in. This is, I just found this out after the last service. Uh, last week, I talked with a young man in our church family who had, who had just had a concern for the spiritual status of his grandparents. And he wanted to talk with me about how to approach that conversation. And so we talked through the way to have that conversation and how to use the sermon notes guide as a tool uh, to lead them into that moment for prayer. And, and so he, he took that and went, and I, I found out today, he, that little guy met with his grandparents this week, approached the conversation the way we talked, shared the gospel, walked them through the prayer, and they stepped into relationship with Jesus Christ with their grandson. Beautiful. Love it. He lived sent. He lived sent. Now it's four, all right? Look, we, we celebrate salvation, but we also talked last week that our goal is not salvation. Our God-given task is disciples, to make disciples. We get salvation when we make disciples, but salvation is God's business. Salvation is what God does in, the life, in someone's life as we steward moments. Our task is to make disciples, and we will always be a church that strives to see more and more salvations as we make disciples. The difficulty comes is that we tend to want to split that and say it's one or the other, but it's both and. In fact, think about it this way with me. When we spend time in relationship with people and we invest in them, our goal is to ultimately move down to the point where they step into relationship with Jesus, they experience salvation, and they're saved. That would say, that's a, the churchy word for is, is evangelism. It's, it's what we do as we share our faith, as we live like Jesus, as we serve, as we love, as we speak the truth in love. If someone gets to the point where they move into being spiritually alive in Jesus and saved. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning, because the goal is then for all of us to move in a journey where we become disciples. And not just any kind of disciple, but a multiplying disciple. A multiplying disciple, where we are a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And that's where this churchy word of discipleship comes in. We have evangelism, we have discipleship. There is a journey that takes place. And, and where it gets difficult, where it gets confusing, is where somebody wants to split this and say, are you about evangelism or are you about discipleship? And I say, yes. Yes. Yes, because when we understand what Jesus has told us to do, which is to make disciples, this journey is this journey. And we're not talking about a change of direction for us as a church. We have in our mission statement, vision statement, always talked about a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation we celebrate, but it is not the goal. The goal is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is why we do what we do. And when we stop short here, then we miss the point. It's almost like making a meal and not eating it or writing a letter and not sending it, or preparing a gift and not giving it. That's silly. It's almost ridiculous. And, and what's silly down here in the world of meals and letters becomes tragic when you move it into the realm of the eternal. Because when we make salvation a destination, instead of a starting point, we have missed the point. Because there is a journey that follows that we are all on, and our goal is to make sure we steward all of it as we make disciples. I am not in any way lowering the bar. I am reminding all of us that our bar is higher than we tend to realize. That we are called to make disciples. Evangelism, highly important. Discipleship, very important. But what we're focused on is making disciples, and that is both and. Are you with me? All right, cool.
Let's step back into chain reaction for a moment then. Um, this uh, launching day for the series is really going to be more of an introductory day. We're going to lay the foundation for the rest of our journey, and I, I want to get right to it. So grab whatever you want, your Bible, your printed Bible, your device, or you want to use the sermon notes guide. It's in there as well. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And um, if you're looking for it in your Bible, you're going to go past the Corinthians. You're going to hit Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There's Colossians. If you get into the, Th- into the Thessalonians or the Timothys, too far, throw it in reverse, back up. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. And I just want to read down through this scripture, and then we're going to spend some time unpacking it and a few other concepts that will set us up for the rest of our journey. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, so let's start with a few basics about this letter we call a book. Let's just go through some of the basics. And I want to do that from a who, what, when, where, why perspective. Very simple, straightforward. Just kind of run down through that to start and lay a foundation for us in this journey. So let's go with the who. Who is Paul and the Colossian church? It's Paul writing to the Colossian church. We, we have Timothy listed here. But based on the fact that later in this letter we see the use of the personal pronoun I a number of times, and based on the fact that cultural writing, the custom of writing letters in this day, was to place the author first if there there was more than one name involved, and when you couple that with the common familiar writing style of Paul evident in this letter, we've got Paul as the author. That's the who, writing to the church in Colossae. The what is that this is the 12th book of the New Testament. It was actually a letter, also known as an epistle. This was one of the prison epistles or prison letters, uh, along with Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon. And it was carried by a man named Tychicus from Paul to the church that it was destined for. And these letters, once they were taken to their original recipient, often were just circulated around so that people could continue to learn from what was written to other locations. So there you go. That's the what. Let's move on to the when. Well, we don't really know for sure when this was written. Most scholars say it was about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And and many will place it specifically at A.D. 62, which means it was written about the same time or at the same time as the letter to the church in Ephesus, which really explains why nearly a quarter of what we find in Colossians we find in the book of Ephesians. Written by the same guy, same time, carried by the same messenger. And so there's an overlap. They're like sister books. So that would be the when. The where, again, well, that's uh, by common consensus. It's believed that Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this, and specifically in prison in Rome. 
And Rome would have been about 1,200 miles away from Colossae. If you put Rome over here and go more than 1,000 miles east, you'll end up in Colossae. If you back up 100 miles, you'll end up in Ephesus. So Ephesus and Colossae were in the same area, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Paul, from prison, was writing to believers in those locations. And that's the where. So we got who, what, when, where, and now why. And why probably becomes the most relevant for us. Because when we read scripture, we need to make sure we move it to application in our lives today. And it's not going to take us very long to go through this book and realize that Paul was writing to get the believers in the church of Colossae back on track. They had allowed false teaching and some cultic doctrine to work into what their practices were, and they had, they had gotten derailed and off track. And Paul wanted to bring them back on track, bringing them back on track to knowing God and making him known, and to make sure they were doing that in the right way. But before he could do that, he would have to address a couple of issues, and these issues were related to uh, one word, and that word is syncretism. Syncretism. That's a fancy word for the intermingling and mixing of faiths. So we have the Jewish faith, we, had, we have Roman, uh, Roman religion, we had other pagan religions around, and these things were starting to creep into the belief and belief systems of the believers in Colossae, and it was diluting and um, actually downgrading the prominence of Jesus to the point that they had created a, a hybrid religion that did not truly reflect what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And so syncretism was what, what Paul was trying to address and something that needed to be ended. Because they were taking these small concepts and they had these little narrow views of like, hey, this doesn't look too bad right here, but they had lost sight of the bigger picture of who Jesus was. And looking in at a narrow, limited perspective kept them from seeing the problem that was related to that narrow look. And Paul was wanting to write to say, look, you see it right here at this limited perspective, but you don't see that it's a problem. You've got to step out and see the bigger picture to realize that it is a problem. In fact, that principle is something we do not only in our spiritual journey, uh, but we can do it in life. And I, I want to illustrate this point with a few photos just to help us track along this issue that was happening in the church at Colossae. So here's the first picture. Check this out. That is just a, a regular fence, got a good chain, good lock on it, sign to keep it closed. Looks like it's doing a good job of securing its area in a narrow, limited perspective. But when we back out into the bigger picture, <laughs> yeah, we see it's securing nothing. Nothing at all. Here's another picture. Here's a dude, looks like he's just doing a wheelie. He's got pop, or hopping the curb, and it looks like everything's okay. But when we back out, we realize he was trying to jump over, yeah, jump over his four friends. Now, you'll notice the guy in the far left in the pink shirt has done the math. <laughs> yep, and he realizes this is not going to work out well for him. It is not at all. Okay, next picture. This is a good one. A guy on a riding lawnmower cutting the grass with some weird blue things on it. Looks okay, looks normal, but when you back out, those blue, yeah, those blue things are a suspension system. He's hanging from a crane cutting the tops of bushes. Ingenious. Ingenious. Crazy, but ingenious. Look, sometimes with a limited perspective, we think something's okay, but in the big picture, we realize it's not. Last one. These guys have done a great job of installing those black parking pillars to make sure people park in the right place and don't get too close to the building. And they're wrapping up for the day, did a great job cementing those things in, and it looks like they did a, it was a job well done until we back out to the bigger picture. 
Yeah, that's right. And we realize they blocked themselves in. They put those pillars in places. They can't get their van out. They are stuck in that place. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> you know, when we look at something with a limited perspective, we can think it's right and find out that it, later that it wasn't or isn't. We, we can see, like, something can seem okay in a, a narrow, limited perspective, but in the big picture, realize it's a problem. It's true in life, and it's true in our spiritual journey. And we can say, okay, a little bit here, and that little thing there, no big deal. But in reality, in the big picture, it is. And the Colossians had a limited perspective that was diminishing the prominence of Christ. They were letting these other beliefs in the syncretism issue diminish the prominence of Christ until he was no longer who he once was for them. An all-sufficient Lord. They had lost sight of the big picture. And Paul was writing to get them back on track. Now here's a little trick for you, something you can keep in mind anytime you are looking at any religious teaching, to consider if it's false teaching or not. All you need to do is to first, as a kind of a quick check up front, consider the position that Jesus Christ holds in that teaching. Just consider the position that Jesus holds. Is he Lord or not? Is he all-sufficient or not? Is he supreme or not? Because if he's not Lord and all-sufficient and supreme, you're dealing with false teaching. And there's more things to look at to know if something's true or not and it's good doctrine or not, but as a quick test, the place that Jesus holds is a great place to start to know whether we're dealing with something that's true or false as it relates to a Christian faith. So that's why we'll see the central focus of this letter is the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ in every area of life. The Colossians had gotten caught up in teaching that was false. And Jesus was no longer all-sufficient and supreme in their view of what it meant to follow him. And Paul said, look, that's enough. And he's saying, look, all-sufficient, that Jesus is enough. And that supremacy is that Jesus is primary. And, and it's just Jesus, not Jesus plus something else. So in a way, Colossians, we're going to see, is like an abbreviated ethics course where, where Paul addresses a variety of things in the Christian life. He moves from the individual to the home and family. He talks about the workplace, and he moves into how we relate to people. But all along the way, he's prioritizing the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in meeting our needs in every area. In every area. Because he understood that our hope is not, just, it's not in Jesus and something else. Our hope is just in Jesus. That when we talk about following him, it's not Jesus plus something else. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus what we can do or plus what we can bring to it or what somebody else is doing. It is none of that. It is just Jesus. And Jesus is the one who defines what it means to be in relationship with God and what it means to live as a missional disciple, as one sent. And syncretism falls outside of that. The things that, that dilute this are outside of it. And we as a church family, and for the church in Colossae, in a journey to make sure that we keep Jesus prominent. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus. In fact, it was Jesus who said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And in that statement, he's declaring, it is just me. I am all sufficient. I have supremacy. It is me and me alone. And the Colossian church had gotten away from that, and we too can be tempted to do the same thing. So let's step back into the passage for today. But I want to do it through a grid. 
uh, the grid of how to study the Bible. And if you're someone who has who's done a good job of studying Scripture and you have a system and you have a way to do that, great. This will just be a refresher and a good reminder for you. But if you're someone who reads Scripture sporadically and you've never really spent time digging in and understanding what it really means, I want to give you three easy steps as you answer three questions that will allow you or position you to learn from any section of Scripture. And I really encourage you when you read Scripture to pray and then read, then pray again, then read again, then pray and read and pray and read. And as you do that, answering these questions, three questions will position you to, to receive from God through the Holy Spirit and His Word all that He wants you to understand out of it. So here we go. These are the three things. It starts with uh, reading with the lens of observation. And it's answering the question, what does it say? So the first thing is to observe. Observe. Just what does it say? Straightforward, on the surface, what is it saying? The second thing is to interpret it. Answering the question, what does it mean? And it's going a little bit deeper. It's stepping down one layer. What does it mean? And the third thing to do is to apply it by answering the question, how do we live as a result? So it's observe, interpret, and apply. Three simple steps to look at any scripture to truly learn from it. And our Lord wants to teach us from his word. He does all the time if we would just allow him to do so as we lean into it and study it. So I want to do that today. I want to spend some time learning from the Word of God, but I also want to start by first praying before we do that. So would you join me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, God, I, I invite your Holy Spirit to permeate every location represented in the Heritage family, to, to be present with us in the name of Jesus. Father, may you speak as we look at your Word. Open our eyes. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And as we look at the beginning of this letter, God, may, may we hear from you. May you speak to us and may we leave here changed because we've been in your presence and in your word and you've ever been able to refine us to, to be more like your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, let's go back to Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Now, I already mentioned a little bit ago about the introduction and the authorship we can glean from that, but there's a, some something else that's important to note here, and that is the literal meaning of apostle. The literal meaning of apostle is one sent, or sent one, one who is sent. And it represents or denotes someone who has the ability to, to represent God as a spokesperson, as a messenger, as an ambassador. And although Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples, Jesus showed up to Paul personally and commissioned him personally. And that gave Paul the right to claim the authority of apostle. And he does so in this letter because of those realities. So let's step one layer down in this and let's go a little further and do something together. I want to give us all a chance to read through the scripture, to highlight, to circle, to connect, to maybe denote something that's interesting or pops out to you or something you have a question about. And I encourage you to use the sermon notes guide to do this. But I literally, I want to give us just a moment to individually look at this scripture and ask the Lord to speak to us, to apply that observation, observe, interpret, and apply process to verses 3 to 8. And you've got it there, we're going to put it on the screen, or you have your own Bible to do it. I want to give us to about a minute to do that. And I encourage you to do it on your own. Um, but if you want to invite somebody next to you into it, because it's your spouse or your best friend and you have that relationship, go ahead and do that. But I give everybody the right to refuse the invitation to do it collaboratively. You can do it on your own. But this is an opportunity for us on our own, to walk through this scripture, and then we'll look at a few more things out of it. So there's not going to be any music. We're not going to do anything else but sit and read through the scripture and see what God's trying to say out of it. So let's do it together.
Okay, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off. I know some of you aren't done with that. I'm going to invite us to come back together. And, and want to make this clear, that as we begin this journey, I want us all to realize that it doesn't matter how many times we have looked at a scripture or studied a scripture, there is still more to learn from it. There is still more to be learned. God still wants to teach us out of his word. The Colossians had learned a few things, but they still needed to learn more. They, they had learned a few things from this guy Epaphras. In fact, it's believed that Epaphras was the one who likely started the church in Colossae. And most scholars say that during the three years that Paul was in Ephesus, that two prominent leaders of Colossae traveled, there, traveled to Ephesus, heard Paul's teaching, received new life through Jesus Christ, and then went back to their home areas as sent ones and started to teach those around them. And those two people were Epaphras and Philemon. And Philemon had a connection to Paul. We know that from the other letter uh, titled Philemon. But Epaphras is the one who prompted this letter. Epaphras went to Rome and, and sought help from Paul to seek to address the issue of syncretism. They knew it was an issue. They weren't sure how to go through it, but they went to Paul to address that. So this letter written by Paul, written to a people and a place that Paul likely had never been and never met, which is interesting because he, in spite of that, knew who they were through relationship with Epaphras, through, through Epaphras' relationship with the people in the church and his relationship with Jesus. And it's, it's important to make sure that when we invest in people that we're coming alongside in relationship. It's why we talk about investing and inviting as a church family, that we do life in relationship with each other and with those that we're trying to lead into relationship with Jesus. It's important to know who we're interacting with because sometimes if, when we're not knowing who we're interacting with can be a liability and it can just turn into a cold transaction. In fact, if we don't know who we're interacting with, we can find ourselves in a very difficult situation or see less fruit out of it, and we can even find ourselves in a place where we're in trouble in our relationship with them and what's happening around us. So let me give you a story of what I mean by this. There was a photographer of a national magazine who was assigned to go and take photos of a large forest fire. But when he got there, there was so much smoke, he couldn't find a good spot to take pictures, so he called his editor, and they hired a plane for him. The editor said, the plane will be there on the runway. When you get there, just go to the airport. So he hurried to the airport, and sure enough, when he got there, there was a plane on the runway warming up. So he ran to the plane, threw his gear in, jumped in, said, let's go, let's go. And the pilot wheeled the plane around into the wind and took off. In just a matter of minutes, they were up in the air. And right away, the photographer said to the pilot, he said, look, I need you to fly around the north side of the fire and make three or four low passes. The pilot looked at him and he said, why? And a little indignant and frustrated, the photographer said, well, because I'm a photographer and I'm taking pictures and that's where I get the best light and the best angle and, and the smoke isn't in the way. And then after a long pause, the pilot looked at the photographer and he said, so does that mean you're not the instructor? <laughs> it is good to know who we're dealing with in life. And even more so as Christ followers. Because it's through our relationship with people that God wants to transform lives. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done is is it's true for everyone, everywhere, and all time. But we're not just imparting information. We're walking in relationship with people so they can experience the love of God and not just get saved, but become disciples and make disciples. And it's important to know who we're interacting with. And Paul was able to write this letter to a people in a place because he was living as one sent by God. 
In fact, Paul knew and understood that the believers in Colossae had a saving knowledge of Jesus. But they needed to move from being believers to becoming true disciples who make disciples by, by growing in that relationship and that understanding and knowledge. Because if they stayed here, they would be susceptible to this. They needed to move past salvation to true discipleship in growing in their knowledge and understanding of who Jesus was and is and is to come. You know, the, the Colossians had to be teachable. And we're teachable when we're changing. In fact, we know we're teachable when we, when we have knowledge that leads to understanding, and that understanding leads to application. It's observe, interpret, apply. A good sign if we're teachable or not is whether or not we're changing. And if we follow Jesus Christ, there is still more that he wants to do in us to refine us, make us look more like him, position us to be disciples who make disciples, and we need to be teachable and learning and growing. And Paul understood for the Colossians, they needed that. And so do we. And one of the things I noted in just my study and looking at these first eight verses is that Paul brings up a familiar trilogy. I don't know if you saw it. It's faith, hope, and love. It's not the first time Paul has referenced those three. First, first Corinthians 13. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now that, those three things are often used in the New Testament, but they're not a formula. Each is individually important and, and, and vital in the life of a believer, a Christ follower. Yet they're tied together and connected. Love is the greatest, but they are all inextricably linked together. And Paul was commending the believers in Colossae for those three things. And it makes me wonder, as we begin this journey in Colossians, of what Paul would commend in our lives, of what he would be able to commend in our lives, in, in my life, in your life. What would he be able to commend? Or maybe a more probing and revealing question is what would he not be able to commend in our life? Our faith? Our hope? Our love? You know, we may not be tempted to the beliefs of syncretism that the church in Colossae was at that time. But this letter is incredibly relevant for us today. Even if it's simply reminding us that we as humans cannot achieve salvation through our own works or accomplishments. That we can't even make Christianity better by adding other ideas or religions or concepts to it. It's just Jesus. It's his power at work in us. Even Paul, as he identified himself, an apostle by the will of God. He was saying, I am who I am because of what Jesus has done and his authority. And this letter reminds us that there is absolute truth in Jesus. We don't have to look anywhere else for salvation. We don't have to look anywhere else for hope. Or anywhere else for faith, for life, for love. It's Jesus. And as we can continue in this journey, it would be good, I think, for all of us to consider where we might be missing the bigger picture because we're looking at something narrow or limited and we're missing that bigger reality in our journey. Or perhaps maybe we're including something in faith or, what, or our hope or what we love beyond Jesus. That, that maybe you're finding hope in Jesus and in your ability to do something. It's Jesus plus in your world rather than just Jesus. But remember, he's all sufficient. It's just him. Maybe you've stopped with faith and you've not moved past salvation into truly loving fully and being a disciple who makes disciples. We have an opportunity in this journey to go deeper in that process. You know, no gummy bear will ever spontaneously combust. <laughs> 
without a catalyst. And no life will spontaneously change without the catalyst of Jesus. And if you find yourself here today as someone who is spiritually unresolved, you're not sure where you stand with God, you haven't made a decision about what to do with Jesus, I want to encourage you today to change that by simply stepping into relationship, finding new life in Him, receiving salvation by what Jesus has done and is doing, by His death, resurrection, and life now. In fact, it's, it's really simple. You have a conversation with Him in the form of a prayer. In fact, in the back of your sermon notes guide, just over halfway down, are, are the, the steps to this journey and a specific prayer that you can use to start that relationship. No matter where you've been, where you're at, you can move from life, from, from death to life, from being spiritually just struggling in darkness to spiritually alive, living in the light with purpose and hope. Starting with that conversation. And then join us as a church family in the rest of the journey of living as disciples, seeking to make disciples. You can do that today. And as we step into the rest of Chain Reaction, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. This is a 10-week journey, so we have nine more weeks of walking through this scripture, this book. And I know that this is summertime coming up, and we've got vacations and family events and trips, and, and I want to encourage all of us to do something. That whether we are here or not, that we are walking through this, script, this scripture together corporately. That, that if you're away on vacation, you're at a family event, that you'll read the same scripture that we as a church family are studying as we gather in worship. I've already posted the breakdown of the series on my blog. You can get there through the QR code in the sermon notes guide, or you can go to the heritageqc.com and get there. But just the breakdown of the whole series, so you know when and where we're at in this journey, that we can just all continue to read and all continue to observe, interpret, and apply. I know God wants to teach us out of his word. And because of Christ, our life can be different. We can have faith, we can have hope, and we can have love that abounds. And as we go through the journey, I'm, I know that we're going to see through Colossians that whatever we face, whatever you're facing today, whatever that is, Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's simply Jesus. And as we take this journey to understand what life can be because of Christ, it is my prayer that we will live as a people with him as all-sufficient and all-supreme, that we will trust him for both our salvation and our sanctification, our journey toward holiness, our journey towards being more like him and becoming disciples who truly make disciples. I can't wait to see how God's going to use this time. I'm excited for it. And I, I hope that you, are, you come ready to learn. I hope you invite people to join you. This, this journey through Scripture is for anybody. You don't have to be somebody who walks with Jesus to understand and come and be part of learning how God loves, how God calls us and relates to us and wants us to be all that we can be because of who his son was and is and is to come. So I'm excited about it. I look forward to the journey. And let's take a moment to pray as we step back into worship. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people. I thank you that when two or three are gathered or more in your name, that you're present. And so we have gathered in your name and the name of your son, Jesus, and, and you have been here. And, and I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that because of him, we can have faith, we can have hope, and we can know what it means to truly love not only you, but those around us. And I pray, Father, as we begin this journey through the book of Colossians, I, I pray you'd speak. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, give us the ability to, to take your truth and apply it 
so that through us you are glorified, so that through us more people step into relationship with you as we live as a people redeemed, reconciled, set free, empowered, all the things that your son affords to us. It's because of him those are, are realities or potential realities in our lives. So thank you, God, for this time. I pray that you'd be able to do all you want to do in and through us as a people. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.